Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Hey, we're glad that you're here today. We're thankful that you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday with us here at Generations Church. Whether you're in the room or you're watching online, welcome to those of you that are a part of this kind of back half of fall break week in our county. So many families uh, traveling, uh, vacationing, finding stuff. I was talking to one family. They were like, listen, I don't have kids in school. This was a work week. I don't know what you're talking about, and that's okay as well. But uh, we are thankful that you're here today. And you heard a few things just in the last couple of minutes. I want to reiterate a couple of those and kind of give you another one or two. This is not commercial, infomercial land. These are things that we really do believe can impact your life, maybe somebody else's life on your row, and really make a difference. And so a couple things we want you to know about that are coming up over just the next two weeks or so that we think are important for you. So kind of lock in here with me for just a second. But next Saturday, we have our first Saturday prayer. We started a G group this semester called First Saturday Prayer. It meets fittingly on the first Saturday of every month from eight o'clock to nine o'clock in the morning right here in this room. We've got a great group of folks that have joined this effort. And so we're gathering together to pray over the needs of our church and community. We pray over the needs of people that have submitted prayer requests to us if they're not confidential. So we're praying over those requests and we pray over the needs of the people that are in the room with us. And we would love to have you come join me, join this group. We're going to meet next Saturday, eight o'clock to nine o'clock. We're going to start on time. We're going to end on time if you've got other things going on on Saturday morning. We'd love to have you join us uh, for First Saturday Prayer. And then next Sunday is a great day. You heard a little bit about it just the last few minutes. But next Sunday is water baptism. If you've never been baptized in water to really publicly profess the decision that you've made to follow Jesus Christ, we would love to baptize you. Uh, if you have been baptized before, but maybe you've recently made what we call a rededication or a recommitment, we'd love to baptize you as well just to kind of help you to go public with your church family and maybe your, your family and friends to be a part of Baptism Sunday. So you can go to the website, register for that. And also next Sunday is Vision Sunday. We do this every fall. Uh, it's, I'm not going to take up a special offering. We're not asking you to pledge anything. But we want you to come and be here with us as we talk about where we are as a church, where we're headed as a church, what we believe God wants to do in and through us in this community. And, and literally around the world. So we want you to be here for Vision Sunday uh, and just dream together with us about all that God might do uh, in this place and utilizing you and me to do that. And then in just two Saturdays, it's the second Saturday from now, October the 9th is our local missions serve day. We've got two great projects this year uh, that we're gonna serve. We're gonna serve at Goshen Valley Boys Ranch. We're also gonna serve the Cherokee Family Violence Center uh, and so we have an opportunity to be the church outside the walls of this building. I believe the church is at its best when it's mobilized. And so we want you to be a part of that. Again, you can go to the website. You can register uh, to be a part of our local serve day. And uh, again, we want to help serve these people and meet needs in the best way that we know how to do that. And so we want you to do that. And then next Sunday, I, I skipped right over this. It's Discovery Track. It's step one. This is kind of your first and best step into the life of our church. Today is actually step three. So some folks are finishing up the September version of Discovery Track, but we want you to be a part of Discovery Track if you've never gone through that. Or maybe it's been a long time. You're just kind of figuring out who we are and how God may use you. We want you to be a part of Discovery Track next Sunday. It's all on the website. You can go and get that. Today, I'm excited to jump into God's word to look at a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Really, the first 10 years that I was in ministry, I kind of pulled double duty. I would preach or teach, speak, whatever you want to call it, uh, but I also led worship. And so today, I want us to talk about worship. I love worship. 
I love worship music. I love to be in times of corporate worship. I love personal times of worship. You know, if you were to go and look at my Spotify playlist, it is almost exclusively worship. I mean, I, I listen to country music and I listen to other types of music. I listen to all kinds of things. But I, honestly, if you're asking me, like, who are the top bands right now, top artists, what are some of the most famous songs on the top four? I, I couldn't, other than listening to my sons play their music, and I'm like, what is that trash, right? I just sound like a grumpy old man. See, that would have been a good spot for you to be right there with me and kind of amen. That's okay. That's all right. You're going to get with me in a second. But uh, I, I don't really know a lot of those songs and artists. I mean, I'm not a fuddy-duddy, but I mean, I just, I love some good worship music. I can tell you just about all the, the, the newest worship songs. I love them. But there are times, this is a word my mom used to use all the time. There are times I get a hankering. Anybody ever got a hankering before? I get a hankering to go listen to those songs of my childhood, those songs of faith from when I was younger, and maybe even the songs of faith of my parents and my grandparents. And, and I just love times of worship to really sing songs or to hear songs that are talking about the goodness and greatness of God. I believe that worship is powerful. And so today I want us to look at a story. This is in the book of Acts. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me there. Book of Acts, chapter 16. This is really kind of in the middle. It's just over halfway uh, through the book of Acts. You've had a lot of the early formation of the first century church there in the first several chapters of Acts, and then you are introduced to Saul, who becomes Paul. You see some of his initial ministry and Peter, and you see the gospel opened up to the Gentiles, which creates this crisis of faith in Acts chapter 15 of the Jerusalem council, where the religious people are really trying to determine what does it take to be saved? What is it that looks like salvation? Like what laws do you have to keep? What rules do you have to obey to be saved? And they really wrestle with that in Jerusalem. And then they spread out from there and they begin to do some ministry. And we we follow a few of their stories, but primarily in the second half of the book of Acts, we are following the Apostle Paul on several missionary journeys. And this is a part of one of those missionary journeys. And he is traveling and he is proclaiming the gospel and he's preaching and teaching in various places. And he's got a, a group of people that are with him in some of these places. And so in Acts chapter 16, we're gonna read a story here, a really, really great story in my opinion, about Paul and Silas and some others that are there proclaiming the gospel. This is what we read beginning in verse 16 of Acts chapter 16. This is what it says. It says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now let's stop right here. This is, not even, this is not even really what I'm preaching about today, but the setup of this story, I think is a powerful picture here because what we're gonna read in just the next couple of verses is that this young girl, she is possessed by an evil spirit and she's following around these men of God and she is proclaiming the good news that they are proclaiming. She's telling, even possessed by an evil spirit, the good of God that these men are trying to proclaim. And and I was recognizing as I read this story and being reminded of other places in scripture where even the enemy knows the good news. Like even the enemies of God know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was confronted with this thought as I thought, you know, I kind of put myself in the position of maybe Paul and Silas and some of these others that are traveling around and proclaiming the gospel. And I kind of put myself in that position and I had this thought like, does the enemy know who I am? Not does the enemy make me scared sometimes. Not does the enemy come and try to tempt me with things as I'm led away by my own evil desires we read about in the New Testament. No, no, no. Does the enemy know, is the enemy afraid of me? 
Is the way that I'm living and conducting my life, am I so much about the mission of God that the enemy is afraid of how pointed my life is towards the things that God is asking me to do? I want the enemy to be afraid of me. Now, I'm, I'm not saying every time I say something like that, my wife's like, ooh, you better get ready. But listen, I'm telling you, I, I want the enemy to be afraid of me, not because of me, because I want my life to be on mission. I want my life to be pointed in the direction of what God is asking of me and what God desires to do through me. And I want that for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want the enemy just following you around and going, you got to, I don't know, everybody pay attention. Like this guy, this girl, they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. What an incredible testimony of what God is doing through someone that the enemy would even be telling others who you are and what you're doing on behalf of God. That's not even the good stuff. We're just getting to the good stuff here. Let's keep reading, okay? Verse 18. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Now, let's pause here for again, just a second. Paul and Silas were arrested, not because of the gospel, They were actually arrested because the slave owners were upset that they couldn't make as much money anymore because this girl had lost the evil spirit. It wasn't the message that they were proclaiming with their life that was offensive to the owners. It was their lack of making as much money that was offensive to the owners. And so what they did is they they dragged these guys into the marketplace to face the authorities. I think for the most part, now this is definitely changing But I think for the most part, the people around you are not as offended by the gospel as you assume that they are. Now, there definitely are people that are offended by the gospel. There are definitely people that are upset anytime you try to stand for what is right and stand in truth. But for the most part, people are not offended by that because they have their own set of truth. I think that's the the slippery slope that we live in in the earth right now is that everybody's kind of got their own truth. And so most people are fine like letting you believe what you want to believe and letting you hold to whatever truth it is that you want to hold to. It's not until it begins to affect how they live. It's not until it begins to affect the things that they're doing that it becomes offensive to them, that they actually have to do something about it. Now, I believe, and, and hear my heart in this, I believe as Christians, as Christ followers, and I recognize not everybody in the room would call themselves a Christian today, but I I believe as Christ followers, we are called to stand for something. I believe that we're called to be light into the darkness of the earth. I believe the the earth is is a dark place. And what I mean by that is I believe it's it's filled with with people who have evil desires and sinful desires. And I believe that's what scripture tells us, that we live in this sinful and broken and fallen world in its present condition. And so our job as Christ followers is to shine the light. Now, what are we shining the light to? Well, unfortunately, throughout history, not just today, but throughout history, we have tended to shine the light on a lot of things that we're not called to shine the light to. We are not called to shine the light on our favorite opinion. We are not called to shine the light on ourselves. We are not called to shine the light even on our church. We are called to shine the light to Jesus Christ. He is the only one that actually makes a difference in the context of the fallenness and the brokenness of the earth. As I listen, as I watch, and I'm guilty of this sometimes, I I fear that for so many believers right now in the present age, that what's happened is that more people around us know what we're against than what we're actually for. 
They know who we voted for, but they don't know what our life is for. They, they don't know what we're standing for. They don't know what we're pointed in the direction of, what mission we actually are on. We are called to be people of the word. And what does the word say? The word says that we should love our neighbor as ourself. The word says that we should love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. The word says that we should be people of grace and truth. The word says that we should shine light, but we should shine that light toward Jesus Christ because he is the one that makes the difference. We stand on the word of God. And when we do that, that's when it becomes offensive to people. That's when it becomes something that people begin to push back at because it affects the way that they live. And so what I would say to you is make sure that you know what you're standing for, not just what you're standing against. Make sure that your life is grounded and rooted in the word of God. And when you do that, that is the place that the gospel comes out of you in such a way that it begins to impact people around you. And that is what we are called to do. Stand for something, but know what you're standing for. Stand on the word of God. Now let's get into the meat today, all right? Let's get into this. We're gonna read several verses together. Verse 20. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully, and when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Now that's a lot. So I wanna give you three quick thoughts today with the remainder of our time, just to help us understand worship to a greater degree. Here's the first one. Worship is a choice. Worship is a choice. Look at verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, my mom told me that nothing good happens after 11 p.m. You're not with me. I can already tell. That was a good spot for you right there. About midnight. Some of you haven't seen midnight on the clock in years, right? But about midnight, Paul and Silas, they chose to worship. They were singing hymns to God. They made it a choice. There are a lot of times that I don't feel like worshiping. Even as much as I love worship and I love worship music, they chose to do so. And so often that's what worship looks like. It's us choosing to do so, even when we don't feel like it. I heard a story several years ago about a story that had happened years even before my hearing it. It was about a a couple who lost their their young son. He was in his early to mid-20s in a car accident. And they went to the funeral and they went to the graveside after the funeral. And at the end of that graveside service, the wife looked at her husband, this mother who had lost a child much too young. She looks at her husband and she said, I want to sing. 
He said, what do you mean you want to sing? I don't want to sing. She said, I want to sing. He said, well, what do you want to sing? She said, I want to sing God is so good. Standing out on that hillside, she wanted to declare the goodness of God in a moment that didn't feel so good. She was choosing to worship. Years later, when this husband would retell that story, he said, where better to sing about the goodness of God but in times of bad? It's a choice. Worship is not just feeling it all the time. It is choosing to worship no matter what's going on. It's, it's the midnight hours of our lives. It's, it's in the midst of the inner cell of prisons. It's chained together. It's declaring worship in those moments to God so that you can say to God, God, I'm choosing to do so. Sometimes the most meaningful times of worship in my life are when I did not feel like it. So worship is a choice, and secondly, worship isn't conditional. These go somewhat hand in hand. Worship isn't conditional. I'll tell you when good worship happened in my, in my younger years, and some of you, you're not gonna have any idea what I'm talking about when I start describing this. Worship really took place in my home church on Sunday night. I mean, some of you are like, Sunday night? Y'all had church on Sunday night? What was, what was Sunday night's where it was happening, y'all. And not only that, Sunday night church is when the choir would sing a special song right before the sermon, and sometimes they'd sing so good the preacher didn't even get to preach. Now, if you amen me right there, I'm going to get my feelings hurt, okay? But the choir would sing, and, and here's what would happen. They would start singing, and sometimes they'd sing that song. You know what I'm talking about? They'd sing that song, not the song, that song. And when they would sing that song, they would get to the bridge of that song, and they would change keys. And when they change keys, woo, you started to feel something. The hairs on your arms would stand up. And then if they changed keys again, you knew revival had broke out. I mean, that's what happened on Sunday night in my church when they sang that song. That's when worship would take place. All the conditions were met. Now, that doesn't mean it wasn't authentic. It doesn't mean that it wasn't genuine. It absolutely was but the conditions were right. We were expectant. We knew that this was the place, this was the way that God's presence was real to all of us. But worship isn't conditional. It is absolutely a choice. Look at this in verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, that's where we were at earlier, if you remember, about midnight, that's when they chose. The conditions weren't right. They weren't in the synagogue. They weren't in the temple. They weren't in the tabernacle. They weren't in the place of the presence of God. They were in prison. They had been beaten. They had been stripped naked. They had been humiliated in front of these, these people that had attacked them, not because they had done something wrong, but because they had done the mission of God. They had actually set this young girl free, and that became offensive to someone who then attacked them for it. And now they were in the inner cell of a prison, not on the outside. They were guarded closely. They were chained together. Their feet were put in stocks. They had been beaten with rods. And it should have been a time when they were resting. They were trying to recover from their injuries. The conditions were not right for worship in that moment. But they chose in that moment to worship. And this amazing thing happened. As soon as they started to worship, it says that the other prisoners were listening to them. I believe that there are other people around your life and around my life that they are listening for worship. They don't know how to worship. They don't know who to worship. They don't know what to worship. But when our lives begin to declare worship unto God, they are listening. Worship isn't conditional. 
Sometimes you have to choose to worship when the setting is not right. Anybody ever had a fight on the way to church? If you don't raise your hand, you're a liar. You need to repent, right? I mean, there's just something about the enemy like attacking you on the way to church. It happens so often. Can you worship when your family is mad at you sitting right beside you? Can you worship when you're mad at your family sitting right beside you? Can you worship when you got a bad night's sleep the night before? Can you worship when you heard about possible layoffs at work and you're not sure what you're walking into tomorrow? Can you worship while you're waiting on a doctor's report? I don't know how we haven't fixed that part of the medical industry where we would take a test and then have to wait two and four and seven and ten days sometimes to get the results, to get the answers. And so we're just left waiting. Can you worship while you're waiting, uncertain, anxious, scared, afraid of what it might tell you? Can you worship when those conditions exist? Worship isn't about you. It's not about me. Worship is about declaring who God is, and his condition hasn't changed even when our condition isn't good. Worship isn't conditional. Often the best times for me to worship is when I realize I can't fix it, I'm not enough, I don't have enough. It's in those moments that my worship is a prayer. My worship is a cry out to God in authenticity to say, God, I need you. Every hour, I need you. It's those kinds of moments of worship that I believe get God's attention because worship's a a choice. Worship isn't conditional and worship is effective. Look at these last few verses of what we read beginning in verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that hour, the midnight hour, the jailer took them and washed their wounds And then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them to his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. What if the chains that have you bound right now would come loose as you worship? What if the people that are bound around you would find freedom because of your worship? What if the sons and daughters you've been praying for for a long time would come home on the other side of your worship? What if your marriage would improve as you began to worship God? I believe that worship is effective. Worship makes a difference. Worship changes the atmosphere. You know, the word worship is actually a derivative of an old English word that, that, that means worth-ship. It's actually ascribing to God what he is worth. uh, The the picture that I have in my mind, maybe this is not a picture you have, the picture I have in my mind is that we just become a mirror in worship. That whatever God is projecting to us, his love, his mercy and forgiveness and grace, how great and awesome he actually is, we're just declaring that back to him. 
We're just mirroring that right back to him. We love because he first loved us. We can't really create anything on our own. And yet we were these human beings that he created with the choice to try to decide where we put our affection. And as we do that, we choose to lift our affection toward him. And so we actually ascribe to him what he is worth. It comes right out of scripture. Psalm 29 and 2 says this. It says, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Give unto the Lord the glory that is due to him. How much is God worth to you? How much is God worth in this earth? So in times of singing, we're definitely able to do that. That's what we try to do here. We, we choose songs that declare how good and great and worthy God actually, actually is. So we sing songs like God is able. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. We're singing that he is our champion. He's overcome everything that we're facing, everything that we're fighting. We find victory not in our own strength, but in his strength we sing that he's a way maker. He can make a way when there seems to be no way. We're soliciting, as we did this morning, his presence to come and to rest on us. In times of heartache and trouble and tragedy, perhaps, we are singing that God is so good because he actually is. We're declaring that our testimony is that we've been raised from death unto life through the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and it lives inside of each of us. That's what we're declaring as we sing these songs of worship and so much more. But there's more to it than that. The Bible, I hope that you know this, the Bible was not originally written in English, right? And so what we have is we have primarily we have three, but really, or we have three languages. Primarily we have two languages that, that make up the, the texts of Scripture that we have. We have Hebrew and we have Greek. There's also Aramaic in there. In the Hebrew language, primarily this place that we would find it in the Old Testament, there are 10 words that are often translated to something in English that looks like worship. Now, there are song, there, there, there's words that look like singing and dancing. There's words that look like some type of, of joy and, and excitement for sure. But as we start to talk about what worship actually looks like, some of those Hebrew words are also words of kneeling and bowing down, prostrating oneself before God. In the Greek language, which is primarily what we would see in the New Testament, there are 13 other words that are used to you'd be translated into something that looks like worship. It includes those same ones, singing and dancing and, and offerings of, of joy to God. We see the kneeling down and the bowing down. But there's also these words about labor, our labor, our work, and service unto God. And the question that I've been asking myself this week is, is my worship limited to singing? Is it possible for my work to be worship? Teachers, could your teaching in the classroom be worship? Can selling an insurance policy be worship? Could building a fence in your backyard be worship? Could retirement be worship? Would have been a good spot for another amen right there from somebody. Is it possible for the efforts of our lives could doing laundry for the 400th time this week be worship unto God? I would say that it could be. Absolutely, it could be. So often we've relegated worship to one hour on a Sunday. 
And we are called to be worshipers, I believe, all 168 hours a week, all week long. In everything that we do, we find some way in what we're doing to ascribe to God how much he is worth. Is my life a life of worship? I want us to be a worshiping church, but a worshiping church is filled with worshiping people. And so am I a worshiper? Are you a worshiper? Are our lives, are our efforts, is our labor, is our service, is our kneeling down and our rising up, is it filled with worship and declaring the worth of who God is? Do we worship in the midnight hours? Do we worship in the early morning hours? Do we worship as we're bound in chains of some kind? Do we worship in times of need? Do we worship in times of celebration? Do we worship in times of stress? Do we worship in times of worry? Do we worship? It's who we're called to be. It's who we were created to be. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, if we declare ourselves to be that, it's finding those ways intentional, strategic ways to choose to worship God. Not waiting on the right conditions and the right song. Not waiting on the right moment and the right hour of the day. Not waiting on the right energy level. But choosing intentionally to worship, believing that worship is effective. That worship can break every chain. That worship can set other people free. That our sons and daughters can come home. That our marriage can be restored. That Jehovah Jireh can be our provider. And when we've come to the end of ourselves and we don't know how we're going to do all that we need to do, that God can show up in the midst of that as we worship God, not just in response to what he's already done, but in anticipation of what he can do. God, I worship you for what you've already done, for the answered prayers that already exist in my life. But God, I also worship you hoping and believing that you can do what only you can do. We are called to be worshipers. And so here's what I want you to do. In just a moment, we're gonna give you a chance to pray. And we're gonna worship together in singing as we close our time. And some of you need to make the decision today to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ to ask him to forgive your sins and to be your Lord, to be the savior of your life, but also to walk with you in relationship. We're gonna give you that chance in just a moment. But others of you, I'm saying, hey, let's commit ourselves. Start with me. Let's commit ourselves to be worshipers this week more than we ever have before. That all week long at 6 a.m. and at midnight, at home and at work, in the car and at church, that we would find ways to declare God's worth over our home and over our marriage and over our finances and over our health, that he is worth it. And so we worship. That's what we're called to do. I'm gonna ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we conclude our time together before we go to a time of prayer and a time of worship in response. Nobody's looking around. We're gonna give you a chance to declare this publicly in just a second. But if you would say to me, hey, today I know I need to accept Jesus as the forgiver of my sins and ask him to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, I just ask you just to lift your hand right where you're at. We wanna pray for you. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? If you're watching online today, I encourage you to respond. Drop that in the chat. Let us know. Go to g.church slash connect. Let us know you're making that decision so we can follow up with you. 
And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's not about salvation, but I wanna be a worshiper and I'm committing myself this week to worship more than I ever have before. I'm gonna choose to worship. I'm not gonna wait for the right conditions to do so. And I'm believing that worship is effective for the things that I'm asking God to do. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And here's what I'm gonna do. We don't always do it this way. I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and stand right where you're at. Stand with us right now as we pray. And then we'll enter into a time of worship. God, we love you today and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you will do. And God, we're asking you now to in this place, right now, in this very moment, that you would forgive sins for those who've acknowledged their need for you to do so. That God, you would be the Lord of their life. You would help them to enter into relationship with you in a deeper way than they ever have before. And so God, we thank you that you're changing eternity right now. And God, I pray for every person that lifted their hand, those in the room, those watching online, those that may be listening back at some other point this week, that God, you would help all of us to worship you more than we have maybe other weeks, that God, we would give the full 168 to you this week at 6 a.m. and at midnight and every hour in between perhaps at home and on the job and in the car and at church. God, we would find ways to declare your worth in our lives and over our lives. God, so we thank you that you reign above it all as we've been singing, but God, we thank you for your goodness and your greatness in our lives. And so God, we ask you to help us to worship you more. Help us to be reminded all week long, let your spirit just kind of prompt us in our hearts just to choose to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.